Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, July 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Dr. Dobbs forecasts a rough few weeks in the fight against COVID-19. Then college athletes explore a brand new world of money making. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Mississippi National Guard winds down a major mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Once again, Mississippi reported more than 500 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday. That, as the state's hospitals report increasing pressure on resources, and a majority of Mississippians remain unvaccinated against the virus. For weeks since the Delta variant of the disease began its spread in the South, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs has predicted a spike in cases. Now he says the situation is serious. Y'all, we're going to have a rough few weeks. Delta is hitting us very strongly. We anticipate that we're going to continue to put additional pressure on the healthcare system. Currently, there are 13 hospitals in the state of Mississippi that have zero ICU beds. A significantly higher number than that have less than 10% availability. If you talk to your hospital administrators, docs, ICU docs, and ER docs, they'll tell you that we are getting to a point where we're actually having to, you know, fly patients from the Delta to the Pine Belt to get access to care because there's really just not that much access to it right now. The January COVID-19 spike pushed Mississippi's hospitals to a breaking point. Dr. Dan Edney of the state's medical association says his team is working to ensure that doesn't happen again. We know from experience what works. The COVID system up here works very well. And we've talked to the hospitals already in the last few days that you know, we're, we're having to watch as ICU capacity goes down and asking them to voluntarily cooperate with each other to manage their beds efficiently. But if, if push comes to shove, we'll, we'll go back to the COVID system of care, which is centralized management of the ICU beds and hospital transfers, which as Dr. Dobbs says, we told them we, we don't like to do it, but it, we know it works and we'll, We'll do whatever we have to to preserve the integrity of the healthcare system. However, you know, with vaccinations in place, I just can't foresee outside of a catastrophic event that we don't anticipate getting back to where we were the first week of January, especially if we keep escalating our vaccination numbers. Notable on the vaccine front, Dr. Dobbs says that vaccination against COVID-19 does provide a high level of protection against the Delta variant. But as infections swirl within communities throughout the state, he warns that some Mississippians may want to explore even more robust protection measures. All of the deaths in vaccinated individuals are 65 and older. That's one of the reasons why we've been very focused on trying to do additional protections for those 
who are 65 and older, understanding that even though the vaccine is highly effective and very safe, that they are somewhat at high risk, especially those who have chronic underlying medical conditions. For that reason, we also are advocating for people who are, have immunocompromising conditions, such as cancer treatment or lupus or other things like that, to talk to the doctors and see, do they need to be evaluated for a booster dose? There is increasing data out there that shows that certain sets of the population, not everyone, and not even necessarily age-related, but people who have underlying medical issues, such as uh, you know, if you're on immunosuppressive drugs, if you're on cancer treatment, or if you're a transplant patient, that there may be some value in talking to your physician and seeing if a booster dose is an appropriate course of action. Dobbs also encourages all unvaccinated Mississippians to wear masks and avoid large indoor gatherings. Coming up, the NCAA's new policy on athlete endorsements takes effect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Earlier this month, American college athletes became eligible to profit from endorsement deals using their name, image, and likeness, or NIL. For decades, they were prohibited from doing so by the NCAA, who claimed sponsorship deals would violate the principle of amateurism that governs college sports. Drew Butler is a former college athlete. He's also the director of collegiate operations at IconSource, an online platform where student athletes and brands can now negotiate endorsements. He speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. Half the states that's around what it's at right now have their own state legislation, which details the laws for student athletes being allowed to be compensated for their name, image and likeness. And the other states, uh, per the D1 Council and the NCAA, are allowed to create their own rules and regulations at a school level to give those rights to their student athletes if there is no state legislation in place. So at the 11th hour before July 1st, 2021, where six or I believe eight states were ready to go live, leaving the majority of the United States out of student athletes being able to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. The NCAA and the D1 Council created an interim rule proposal, which allowed all 50 state student athletes to go live and be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. So it was a historic day in college sports. Uh, for the first time ever, student athletes were able to commercialize their name, image, likeness, and find compensation, uh, pairing with brands that they were receiving endorsement opportunities through. So, IconSource, specifically the company that I run the college division for, was fortunate enough to provide the marketplace platform for a number of brands to engage directly with student athletes. And student athletes now have the opportunity to engage with brands and facilitate endorsement deals, and they're unanimously choosing to utilize IconSource. You are yourself, as I understand, a former college athlete. You are a punter at Georgia. How would NIL have affected your college experience and your teammates' college experience, especially in the Deep South, where a lot of kids are coming from rough circumstances, coming, you know, growing up in poverty and then coming to these huge programs where they're exposed to opportunities that they've never really had before? Yeah, you know, I I played at University of Georgia. I was a punter. I played for five years in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals. And and specifically for me, I mean, I did have success in college. Uh, My dad also played at Georgia. My dad is in the College Football Hall of Fame. I think there could have been some really cool, unique activations and opportunities 
to, to, to find some endorsement dollars with him. But for some of my teammates, like Aaron Murray, who holds just about every single SEC record for quarterbacks, I think he would have made around half a million dollars. I, I really do believe that's the floor for him. He was a fantastic student athlete. He had tons of accolades. Georgia won a bunch of games. He was a starting quarterback for four years. Um, those types of situations really will give student athletes like Aaron great head starts, you know, understanding representation, understanding money management before he went to the NFL. And then you look at guys like A.J. Green, uh, Justin Houston, all SEC, all American type players who were loved in the South, loved in Athens and Atlanta. They would have had endless opportunity. You mentioned you played in the NFL as well. I believe you were for some stretch of time on my fantasy team in, in 2015. So you can imagine this is a real thrill for me. <laughs> but, uh, there you go. Um, there you go. I, that, the, the fact that you were a punter, I think, opens up kind of an interesting discussion, which is you played kind of an offbeat, you know, a position that doesn't traditionally produce these transcendent stars. There are also, you know, a lot of college sports that don't necessarily penetrate the public consciousness in the way that football and, and men's basketball do. Is that tracking over to NIL as well? Or are the athletes who are getting the really high-powered deals mostly basketball players and football players, offensive skill players, or what have you? Before July 1st, a lot of hypotheticals surrounded the name, image, and likeness conversation. A lot of comparisons were made to Trevor Lawrence, a lot of comparisons to Justin Fields, maybe a gymnast here or there. You know, it was very, very focused on the 1% of student athletes and how this was going to ruin college sports as we know it. And at Icon Source, we dealt in reality. And a lot of brands, a lot of hyper local brands, were engaging in student athletes that could speak authentically to their business, speak authentically to their product, that were from the same town where that restaurant operates. And you know what? A lot of female student athletes were targeted. A lot of minority student athletes were targeted. And that really showed us, wow, this web is going to spread really, really wide. Um, I think the majority of the volume of deals that were done in the first 10 or so days of this new name, image, and likeness era were on the hyper-local level. And I think once school begins back this fall and football and basketball uh, start back up, and, and then, you know, we just saw the College World Series end and a lot of brands were activating and trying to get in touch with student athletes who had a lot of uh, visibility on national TV networks while trying to win championships. I think you'll see the big brands step in and really make a splash from an NIL marketing perspective, which is really exciting. Keep in mind, this is a brand new era. A brand new era, sure, but it remains unlikely that all college athletes across all programs and in all sports will benefit equally from name, image, and likeness deals. Antoine Owens is a Jackson State football player who favors a touch of realism. For me personally, I feel like that money is going to be kind of different in a sense, only because with the Power 5 schools and, and things like that, you know, with those institutions that have the resources to market their players in such a way that the desired companies, you know, are welcomed in, I feel like it will be much more different from, say, how it is here with, you know, a lot of the times I feel like the attention that we're receiving will be, like, because of Coach Sanders or, or Coach Prime, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a lot like, oh, well, let us just go to an HBCU and pick Because if that was the case, they could have went to, you know, a lot of other schools that, you know, are pretty much the same, you know what I mean, outside of the coaching staff. 
It's true. As the NIL market begins to take shape, big money has tended to flow towards athletes at brand name schools. Alabama coach Nick Saban says sophomore Bryce Young, for example, has already earned close to a million dollars in endorsement deals. That's despite having served only as the Tide's backup quarterback before this season. Nonetheless, Antoine Owens has found a way to capitalize off the new rule changes. In fact, on July 1st at midnight, he became America's first college athlete athlete to announce a brand sponsorship as the new face of a black-owned hair products company called Three Kings Grooming. Owen's deal is emblematic of what optimists hope NIL can do at its best. It's an, a partnership that connects an athlete who's recognized and respected within a certain niche, in this case, HBCU football, to a growing brand. That symbiosis has the potential to be magical. Three Kings Grooming's signature product is an all-sleek-looking Afro pick that retails for a few hundred dollars. It's an accessory aimed at young black professionals, precisely like the JSU students who crowd into Veterans Memorial Stadium on Saturdays to watch Antoine's team. It definitely creates a more niche market, but I think it's a it's a loyal brand market once we get to the point where, you know, people know about our brands. Michael Nwankwo co-founded Three Kings. All of our products are very high quality. Uh, we haven't had anyone, you know, have anything bad to say about owning one of our products, so we, we definitely pride ourselves on that. I think we think once we get it out into the mainstream, I mean, it's, it's going to be almost a household name. Can you tell us when you started paying attention to the NIL storyline and when you guys first started talking about potentially utilizing NIL as a marketing opportunity? This basically started with when Deion Sanders, he was on the I Am Athlete podcast, he started talking about HBCUs and trying to get their names out there for their image and likeness. And then I actually have a friend that works for Icon Source, and he told me about the platform and how they're trying to get all these college athletes on to this platform so that brands can actually work with them. And so I thought that was going to be a great idea, speaking up with how Deion Sanders is trying to help out HBCUs. I thought it would be a perfect idea to get HBCU athletes to be the first people that we sponsored from us through this platform. Antoine Owens, who's a defensive end for Jackson State, I believe became not only the first college representative of Three Kings Grooming, but also the first college athlete in the country to formally announce a sponsorship deal. Why was he the right fit for the brand? Well, we basically thought that he was the right fit because like, he basically fit the mold of what we're like looking for in a person to represent our brand. And like he, he has like this look to him. And also like his work ethic, obviously like he's at Jackson State for a reason, you know, and like he's, he's a hardworking person. So we thought that he could, you know, represent our brand in a in a great way. And meeting the person like he's he's a great he's a great person. Like he's uh, genuine, he's great to be around. So we definitely like thought that that was a great idea and a great person to work with. You can catch Antoine Owens in action at Jackson State's first home game, September twenty fifth, against Delta State. He tells us this year is going to be special. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Mississippi National Guard wraps up a major mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
As demand for the COVID-19 vaccine plateaus, the Mississippi National Guard's mission to combat the virus winds down. Over the past 16 months, the state deployed a total of about 1,700 guardsmen and women to distribute protective equipment, administer tests, and more recently, operate vaccine sites. Now they're packing up. Lieutenant Colonel Jeremy Parker is the commander of Mississippi's COVID-19 National Guard Task Force. Speaking with MPB's Kobe Vance, he reflects on the past year and a half. We initially activated the National Guard, Mississippi National Guard, in uh, March of 2020 as sort of the, the COVID-19 pandemic set in. And we've really done, done three primary things. I mean, we've, so we've done logistics. That was actually our first and really most endearing mission, if we kind of remember. Uh, once the pandemic set in, the National Personal Protective Equipment stockpiles uh, really became uh, shorthanded. And then, so, so hospitals and healthcare facilities weren't able to, to receive personal protective equipment uh, via the, you know, the, the normal methods. So we delivered that, that equipment throughout the state and did that for uh, really uh, over a year uh, to ensure that healthcare workers had, had the personal protective equipment they needed. And we also, so that was our, that was our first mission. And then, you know, very soon after, around the April timeframe, the need for COVID testing, you know, became apparent, and testing at that time was not available. So the Mississippi State Department of Health uh, asked us to, to help with the testing mission. We, we trained uh, quite a number of people to do testing, and then we began to do testing throughout Mississippi. Uh, went to, you know, we called it community-based testing, but we were, we were going to communities. The epidemiology team with the State Department of Health would identify communities that needed and we would send a team there to do that. Uh, we also, if we remember, in 2020, uh, we began to have outbreaks of COVID in our long-term care facilities. So in a two-week period, we sent guard teams, tested every uh, every patient and staff member at the long at over 200 long-term care healthcare facilities throughout Mississippi. So that was a that, that was a huge effort itself. And then. On, uh, on January 4th of this year, of 2021, we began to stand up mass vaccination centers throughout the state. That eventually grew to 20 uh, mass vaccination centers that the National Guard operated. Uh, at one point, we were administering uh, around 1,200 doses of vaccine per day at each one of those centers. So that's the, that's the three primary missions that, that the Mississippi National Guard has done for COVID-19. The governor has ended the operations now. Uh, that ended on the 15th. Looking back, uh, what do you see as some of the major accomplishments of the past uh, year and a half? Obviously, the testing and logistics provided critical functions that, that were that were very much needed at the time, and there really wasn't another entity that, that I, I think was really equipped to do those missions the way, the way we were. Um, we're probably most proud of, of the vaccine mission, uh, just from the fact that you know, we were we were the Mississippi National Guard was able to administer over 765,000 doses of, of uh, you know a life saving medicine to to Mississippians. So, you know, we know that that effort has saved lives. And so, you know, you know, we'll never know how many, but we know it yet. And and just fact that you know that mission and really the test mission as well, but especially the vaccine mission. You know, we were able to to give this. I mean, the, the folks coming through the science were. You know, some of our service members are neighbors. So it, it really it let the community see 
uh, you know, what, what the National Guard's capable of in a, in a time of crisis. So we're really most proud of that, that particular mission and, and the way we were able to execute it when there was a very limited supply of vaccine in the state. Is there anything else that stood out to you about experiences over the past year that you'd like to share with Mississippians? Well, one of the things is, is we did put, you know, over a thousand uh, people between the State Department of Health and the Mississippi National Guard. You know, when we employed these teams of, of people to run vaccine centers, you know, we were putting people together that had, had never worked before, worked together before. So that, you know, that's a challenge. Uh, as Mississippians, we're pretty accustomed to the heat, as tough as it is, but, you know, doing these vaccine centers in, in the middle of winter was a, a monumental challenge. That was very tough, the, the outdoor, giving vaccines outdoors in inclement weather. But, you know, our folks were, were able to tough through that. And then, you know, if we remember, we had the ice storm in February. And we were uh, having vaccine appointments. Appointments were never canceled. They were always rescheduled. So once you had an appointment, you had an appointment. So once we, you know, the ice storm shut down a lot of our vaccine centers for multiple days at one when we were actually at the height of giving vaccines. So, you know, the end result of that was we, we did have some, some of our teams worked for over, you know, over a month without a day off to, to catch up on those rescheduled appointments. So if anything, I would just like to highlight the, the monumental efforts of, of our folks uh, you know, to work through that time and to make sure, you know, every Mississippian that wanted a vaccine had a vaccine uh, made available. You know. Lieutenant Colonel Jeremy Parker is with the Mississippi National Guard and is the commander of the National Guard COVID-19 Task Force. Lieutenant Colonel Parker, thank you for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank you. Going forward, county health departments will continue to offer COVID-19 vaccinations free of charge. And before we leave you, the Department of Health has just issued its report for one day total of cases. This is as of 3 p.m. yesterday, 961. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.